Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I'm your host, Chris Hampton, and this is part six of our six-plus part series, plus because we don't know how many there are going to be. Um, six answers most of the questions, but then we've got several questions that kind of warrant their own episodes, and then more questions will come from those, and Whoa. you know, you're know, you in this for the long haul at it's this point. It's a snowball. Yeah. And I'm here with my friend Zach Alexander from 42 North Bouldering. And we just finished making a course, an online course called Boulder Builder that's meant for the spray wall, home wall user um, to help you set more effective, more creative boulders um, in an efficient way. Yep. And we got a bunch of listener questions from the social medias. We're just going to jump in here because it's part six and I've already said this five times to you at this point. Uh, Max HIC, I believe it is, asks ideal wall angle for different types of training. And I made a video. There's, there is an extensive YouTube video on the best, best angle for your home wall, though it's not mm-hmm. really talking about different types of training per se. Um, for that, I don't think there is one wall angle that's best for all types. What do you think um, Max means by different types of training? I'm not sure. (laughs) Unless it's like for vertical training. What's the best wall angle? Well, vertical. Um, For (laughs) caves, what's the best wall angle? Well, steep. I mean, I think that's that's the reality of it. For me, though, if I had to pick one angle, it would probably be 45. Sure. Yeah, why not? Which Uh, is the angle I picked. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And I think maybe if I weren't as uh, invested in and had been invested in for a long time, being able to set boulders that are, you know, that work for a lot of different levels at that angle, then maybe an angle that's a little less would be more valuable. Yeah. just because it's easier to set warm-ups, it's easier to set um, interesting and creative problems that aren't quite as difficult on lower angle walls. Something like a 30 would probably be where I'd go. Yeah. But ultimately, it really depends on what you're most excited about. You know, there even if there were a best angle for your training if you're not going to be psyched to climb on it, if it doesn't represent something that you're motivated to go do, doesn't matter anyway. So, so build whatever angle fits your space the best that you're going to be motivated by. And, and lots of angles have carryover to other angles. Yep. Just in general. One mistake I think a lot of people make, and I've, certainly made this mistake and it's something I've been kind of tumbling over in my brain for a while. I'm curious to get your take on it. Oh boy. 
is this idea of I should build my wall at the angle I climb at most often outside. Mm. And I think that there is a point where that is not true. If you're able to climb on that angle outside often enough that you can use it for practice and it's not just performance days once in a while, then maybe you shouldn't build that angle. Maybe you should build a different angle to fill out your skill set rather than I'm going to build that exact same angle that I climb on all the time anyway. Mm -hmm. I would say that for me, it would depend on what angle it is that you're climbing on outside all the time. Like if you were climbing on roofs outside all the time or on the total opposite end of the spectrum, say you lived and you were climbing at the fins all the time and you were climbing vertical, maybe slightly slabby roots all the time and still very hard, but that was the angle that you were climbing at all the time. Well, I wouldn't build a home wall that is a roof or a vertical home wall, you know, but if you're climbing like generally steep terrain all the time or somewhere in that, you know, 30 to 60 degrees where a lot of us spend time, especially boulders, then, uh, I mean, I don't know, still in the middle, those angles are, I feel like have a high degree of transference to pretty much every other angle. And, um, they're, they're great. Yeah. And I think even on a steep wall, you know, you can, if you use volumes in a smart way, you can use very small holds, um, even at relatively easy grades, you can use pretty small holds on a volume if you've, if you've used it intelligently. Um, and going the other direction, you know, if you're climbing on a 45 and your feet and hands are at the same level and you're traversing across the wall, it's very similar to climbing a lot of roofs. So you can get a lot out of a, you know, 30 to 45 degree wall, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I think that you just kind of, you think about what your goals are, what your space allows, and then you sort of use that to direct, you know, what your wall angle is. And you try to set yourself up to have as much skill transfer to a variety of different things as possible. And that is, I mean in my mind more you're you're setting and you using the space than the actual wall angle like if you're between 30 and 50 or 60 degrees like you're you're in the sweet spot i think yep so max i don't know if we skirted around the answer enough for you um but i don't think there is a a great answer to that question um something you have to figure out for yourself uh, next up, sort of in the same realm, um, is Snack Smiter. Thanks for asking this question, by the way, because Zach and I have been perplexed by your question. Um, how to maintain good footwork, body awareness without access to slab? Uh, number one, I don't think good footwork and uh, body awareness is only on slab i think me neither i think it comes on all angles um yeah if you mean how do i 
maintain my slab footwork and slab body awareness without access to slab? Well, my question would be, if you don't have access to slab, then why does it matter? And if you do have access to slab, then that's how you maintain it. Um, practice on the slabs that you do have. I think that's a, A, it's fucking fun. Like climbing on slabs is one of the most fun things ever. Funstrating. Um, it's difficult and so cool and feels impossible and then goes to working all of a sudden and it's so much fun to do. And I've seen you climb max. I know that you can climb slabs. So I'm, I'm a little perplexed by the question. Yeah, I, I'm maybe not as perplexed as Zach though. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely trying to figure out how to, use words to navigate an answer to this in an effective way. Um, I think Max that, likes punishment. So I think that body awareness and footwork are skill sets that happen on every single a goal of rock climbing and what that skill set looks like, what that body awareness looks like, what that uh, footwork looks like changes mm -hmm. as the angle changes but every single angle, it is present. It is a part of the thing that you are participating in. I guarantee you that if I went to pre-straw, I would get my butt kicked by the footwork of sticking, using my feet in the roofs the way that, and the body awareness and the roofs to, to do it. So, I mean, from everything from that to a slab, it's just different at all angles. And I, I mean, and, intentional energy into you know setting and climbing on footwork intensive boulders regardless of the angle is the way to maintain it and to improve it I, well, I will say this and i think you hinted at it there that um awareness in general is a skill that you can practice and and awareness doesn't care what angle you're climbing on or what type of terrain you're climbing on. It doesn't even necessarily care that you're climbing or not. If you practice body awareness doing any sport, it will carry over a little to other sports. Um, yeah. And if you practice it climbing on a 45-degree wall, on a moonboard, whatever, that awareness will allow you to adapt your footwork faster when you do get to a slab, even if you don't get to climb on one in the gym. And frankly, I'm, I'm not sure that climbing on a slab in the gym is, is like climbing on a slab outside a lot of the time. Man. I, yeah. I can just think <clears throat> of so many times that I have been stymied by the footwork on steep stuff. Sure. You know? Yep. So that's. Yeah. I think you can practice awareness in, in all aspects of your climbing and and it will help carry over we just can't practice all the things you know i can't practice climbing on every rock type every angle every style every grip type i can't keep those skills all topped off um, but one skill we can keep topped off is general overall body awareness and positional awareness and that will carry over to all of those things and make it a little quicker for you to adapt when you get to those new things. So, 
I think maybe that's the answer to your question, Max. Then again, maybe not. Uh, next up, David Coxon. If you only have a vertical wall, how to make it useful? You tilt it back to 45. That's how you make it useful. <laughs> no, I think, actually, I, I quite like climbing on vertical walls. Um, the gym that I learned to climb in had a lot of vertical terrain. And, and I set, I loved setting really difficult climbing on that vertical terrain. Yep. Um, and I think you have to get creative. You have to get some bad holds first off and you have to really work on the orientation of the holds. Um, you can take what's a relatively good hold at a straight down pool and make it an undercling that's, you know, above your head. You can make it a straight side pull with feet that don't complement it and it becomes very difficult. Um, so play around with how you're setting, how you're using the holds. Don't get locked into this one thought process. And I think our, our Boulder Builder course goes into this pretty heavily, how to adjust the variables on a boulder. And this works on vertical walls to roofs, uh, whatever the terrain, it's still the same variables that you're changing. Yeah, I would say, you know, don't fall into the thought process of thinking that small holds are only become bad by becoming smaller so that you just have a bunch of tiny cramps bordering on footholds on your yeah. vertical wall, messing with the orientation, but also slopey holds really can, uh, <clears throat> you know, make a difference. And personally, uh, on top of changing the orientation of the holds, I would really think about adjusting the direction of the footholds so that you're not always yeah. standing directly on your feet while you're paddling hands or whatever, you know, if your feet are on <clears> the same <throat> level or close to out to the side of your body and your hands aren't oriented as straight down pulls, you can really quickly begin to have hard movements on a vertical wall. And I encourage you to think about hard vertical climbs that you have seen videos of or tried outside and think about the elements of that that made it challenging and then slowly begin through practice incorporating that into your setting. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know that you've thought about buying bad holds, getting bad holds. I'm sure that's the first place most people go um, when they're, trying to come up with a way to make a vertical wall harder. But a lot of people do forget about the feet. Um, and that's why I designed the, the foothold lines that we have, the inductors, the resistors, and the diodes. And um, they all three serve different purposes, but I think they're a really good way to make climbing more difficult and so that it transfers better to your outdoor climbing. Um, most of the footholds you can buy uh, for your home wall are either really big and good or they get worse by getting slopier. Um, and our diodes are small, tiny, slippery edges. And our inductors are edge, small edges that are shaped in such a way that if they're out to the side, they're even more difficult to use. Um, so, and they're not the only ones that are out there. So I would just look for bad feet as well. It's, it's an area people tend to forget about. Yep. Something I forgot about actually, when I was initially making the wall until Angie Payne came in and was like, wow, all your feet are giant. 
<laughs> and I'm like, okay, you're right, you know. But I was caught in that gym, commercial gym paradigm where that's the size of all the feet. And I hadn't really thought about how can I get much worse feet on these walls. Thank you, Angie. Yeah. Now it's very cool. So uh, next up is kind of a, a multi-part question. Um, several people asked about this. Um, Clay Thomas said, I get overuse injuries on a steep woody. What antagonistic exercises help? And Rebecca Gorell asked how to keep my older, formerly powerful body challenged without injury. I avoided bouldering for decades as it's how I always seem to hurt myself. <clears throat> and to kind of jump into the first question here, overuse injuries, um, I'm not sure an antagonistic exercise is going to help with overuse. If you're overusing, <laughs> you're still overusing. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, though I do think there's a lot of value in antagonist exercises are just getting stronger in general. I prefer not to think of them as antagonists. I just want to get overall stronger. So for me, that's the value of strength training. Resilience. Yeah, being more resilient, you're harder to break. Um, frankly, if you're stronger, it's harder to overuse. Um, you still can, absolutely, and nothing's going to stop that, you know, um, except for your own, um, what's the word I'm looking for here? Your own diligence yep. is the only way to stop overuse. But strength training in general, doing, pushing, pulling, squatting, hinging, um, some people would add crawling in there um, and carrying as a, another general strength exercise. And I do think it's valuable. So, you know, explore general strength and treat it like strength. Treat it, treat it like training. Don't treat it like rehab. Lots of people want to do antagonist exercises that only use little bands and really aren't making them any stronger. Um treat this shit like training and get stronger. That's the way to get more resilient period. <clears throat> I don't think that people, you know, maybe you will like this, but the essence of your question is overuse injury. Yeah. It is a problem that, specifically. that has uh, occurred because of overuse. <clears throat> Strength helps resilience helps. Overuse is always going to be a thing and you have to step in and take responsibility for your own actions and your own habits and stop overusing. I mean, that, that I feel like that's it really. Yep. And that's hard. Oh, I'm that's not. Hard for people. I am a victim of it. I have had plenty of overuse injuries myself. Yeah. Climbing's really fucking fun. It's hard to stop. And uh, you know, we come. I have a wall in my you know, 10 steps from where we are right now. So it's very hard not to just go out there and climb. And the notion of working harder rather than mm. working smarter permeates in our culture, not totally. just in our climbing culture, but in our Western culture. And it is easy to fall into that trap. Yep. So, I mean, you know, it is not an attack on you personally because I am also a victim of it, but it is a overuse thing. And that is the root cause of the problem. Yep, absolutely. And kind of switching into Rebecca's question here, how to keep my older, formerly powerful body challenge without injury. Uh, she says she avoided bouldering for decades. 
and you know always seemed to hurt herself and and I get that 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 was kind of a pervasive thought when I was coming up as a climber that as you got older you transitioned to easier sport climbing endurance sport climbing that seems to be kind of the the trend you know um I am personally someone who loves to go against the grain and and I've tried to get better at bouldering as I've gotten older. And I don't know how old you are, Rebecca. I'm in my mid-40s. I think I'm 46 this year. I might be 47 you know. this year. No, you, I actually don't. You know. I stopped counting somewhere around 30-something. Uh, it's not hard math. I know you know. All math is hard math for me. Uh-huh. I was born in 1974. So however old that makes me this year. 46, I think. Anyway. I think for me, bouldering is actually safer. Um, after I had my shoulder surgery, when I was 40, I my first thought was I'll come back and I'll sport climb because sport climbing is easier on my body. And what I, re- what I recognized is that I have a tendency when I'm pumped to just lunge and latch at things. Like that was my Red River climbing style. And that would be with no mind toward is my shoulder staying engaged when I'm lunging for this hold that's going to grab me back. And I very quickly realized that sport climbing was going to be more dangerous for me in that situation. Um, and so I started bouldering more and I found that I could have a little more control and not go into that mindset while bouldering. Um, you do have to exercise some self-control. You do have to be diligent. If you're just flinging yourself around, um, if that's what bouldering is to you, then yeah, maybe you will end up getting hurt a little faster. Um, but I think, you know, back to the root of this question, Number one, you avoid overdoing it. Um, You can certainly overdo bouldering a little faster than general easy sport climbing. And you strength train, Um, especially as you get older. Make yourself harder to break. Um, Spend a little more time getting overall generally stronger. That's the best prehab that I know of. Yeah. You know, I agree with a lot of what you said. Absolutely. I think that if you're talking about bouldering as being a more injurious discipline in the climbing sphere than the other types of rock climbing, I think that a lot of that is probably stemming from your thought process on bouldering and your approach to it. I don't think that it's inherently more dangerous than the other forms of climbing. I just think that it's maybe uh, for a lot of folks and not for everybody, but for a lot of folks, an easier thing to, um, let's say, misuse, even though that's not really the word that I want. But, you know, it's, it's a more intense form of climbing, but it's also punctuated by longer periods of rest and the periods of intensity come in waves of harder difficulty, but shorter. So if you sort of approach it with the mindset of it's 
more rest and harder efforts and your value comes from um, quality, not quantity, then it's, uh, you know, it's picking up a really heavy thing two times with a lot of rest in between versus, you know, sport climbing is picking it up 30 times with less rest. And so I don't know that it's necessarily more injurious, but I think that if you uh, approach it incorrectly, then that intensity adds up and, and leads you to injury. So I think a lot of it is your mindset and framing how you approach the activity that um, can potentially make you, uh, you know, less injury prone and more resilient if you slowly build into adapting your body and your, your nervous system to that intensity through the periods of greater rest, then, you know, it becomes less of a thing that, uh, is psychologically dangerous, but also physically dangerous. Yeah. And I think expectations play a big role in that, you know, if you're, if you're an experienced climber, which it sounds like Rebecca is, and, and you have this certain expectation going into bouldering, I should be able to do this. Um, you're more likely to just throw yourself at it and get frustrated and you know, put yourself in position where you're not respecting the intensity yeah. as well as you should be. Um, it can be hard to rest. It certainly is hard between to rest. efforts, between days, <clears throat> all like regardless of that period. And it's so essential to, I mean, the sport, you know, to your body's health. Yep. And, you know, since we've already thrown shade at commercial gyms many times throughout this series, we're going to build a dome over um, them. Yes. Um, I, I'll say another way that I think commercial gyms are failing climbers is that they're making their bouldering walls bigger and bigger and bigger and scarier to fall off of. Wow. You know that um, I hadn't even considered that when I approached this question, the impact of hitting the pads. Yeah. It's, it's a real thing. And, and I know this can be hard to do, but I've made this recommendation to a lot of people. And, and honestly, I do it myself when I'm in commercial gyms, a lot of the time, rather than pick a grade that I think I can probably do that has this scary move at the top, I'll pick a harder grade and just finish it earlier. You know, it's, it's a completely arbitrary finish that someone made up so I can make a completely arbitrary finish of my own. You know, I'm going to finish halfway up the boulder and just pick something that's hard for me, challenging for me to that point, uh, rather than feeling like I have to do this boulder that was set forth in front of me. Yeah. You know? Take charge of your personal experience. There's nothing yeah. that requires you to go to the top of the wall. Yeah. And you know, you can do that outside too. Uh, there's, yeah. <laughs> there are lots of highball boulders that were established as drop-offs prior to the highball. Some famous ones, you know, oh, evolution. Fred Nicole did so many. Fred Nicole did lots of drop-offs. There's no shame in doing that. There's no shame in top roping it. You know, if, if that's what you want to do, John Gill top roped lots of things that he did. Um, don't get trapped into this like macho. I have to do it this way. This is the best style, you know, whatever's going to keep you climbing longer and allow you to have the most fun and get the most out of it is the best style as far as I'm concerned, you know, and not impacting other people's experience. Yeah. I mean, there's a, I feel like quite a few psychological elements that you could explore. 
um, from the expectations and why somebody would do those things. But in the end, I mean, you know, take charge for yourself. You don't have to go to the top. Uh, you can rest as much as you need to, you know, if two efforts on something hard for you, give you the benefit that you need, then, you know, that's plenty. Yep. Yep, absolutely. So Rebecca, I would say just try to reframe the way you're looking at bouldering and, and do some exploring of it, you know, figure out what's safe for you instead of, instead of having to do it the way that other people do. There's, there's certainly a way because climbing movement is climbing movement, whether you're tied into a rope or not. Um, and, and I personally, at least at this point in my climbing career, I'm enjoying the challenge of more intensity in, you know, smaller sprints rather than the marathon type of climbing that, that I grew up doing. Yeah. It's less moves. It's shorter bouts. Yeah. So, and for me, it's, it's working out well. So explore it. I think it's certainly possible for older climbers, aging climbers to, to have a lot of fun and, improve through bouldering yeah doesn't have to be fingery or big falls or anything like that absolutely yeah all sorts of ways you can you can customize the experience to fit you cool and um i will put in the links in the show notes and in the youtube how you can check out the resistors the diodes the inductors um how you can check out the boulder builder course which is live. All the parts are live. I got them all uploaded last week. Um, And there's a bunch of people in there doing it. There's a ton of information in there. So if you want to figure out another way to interact with your spray wall to make the most of it, check out the Boulder Builder course. Um, You can find Zach at 42northbouldering.com. Instagram, YouTube all the places and you can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com as always on the instagrams the facebooks the pinterest the internets at large minus twitter because we don't tweet we scream like eagles this time,